This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Getting, Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> All right, Brock and Salk, CL Sports on 710. Coach Peterson, Chris Peterson, going to join us in 30 minutes, talk through the complete mess in college football here, especially in this state, as Washington departs for the Big Ten. It doesn't even sound right. And then Wazoo left behind with a group of three other schools that obviously are not going to function, just the four of them. And, Brock, some of the scenarios you just laid out are sort of hard to even imagine, let alone see come about here in the next year or so. But uh, we get ready for – we got a lot of Mariners to talk still today as well and all the reasons why they are playing some great baseball and winners of five straight and right there in the mix and everything, a better record than they had at this point last year for the first time in a while, which is awesome. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And I know you got to get to intriguing player, but uh, for those fans – are going to be on the berm today. If you happen to see Mark Schlereth, Stink, right? Stink's in the building today. He's doing a show back to Denver. If you happen to see Mark Schlereth today, just scream Russell at him. You know, just ask him how Russ is doing in Denver. He makes, you know, he's, he does a morning show in Denver. He's doing it from our studios today. Yeah. Just just make sure you ask him about Russ. How is Russ doing? Pretty well I, from what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> All right, time for the number 15 most intriguing Seahawk. Number 15. He is right tackle Abe Lucas. Yes, more intriguing than the left tackle last week. Not necessarily better. And Charles Cross, you know, number 10 pick. And if he can figure this out and take a growth step in year two, obviously it starts to solidify an offensive line from its most important position. But Abe Lucas was not the first round pick. He's a fourth rounder who also started as a rookie who has some of the physical toughness that they're looking for and is helping out a position that has kind of been a disaster for the Seahawks for a long time now. That's the Jermaine Effetti position, right? That's the spot that they've really struggled to know exactly what they want to do with it. And for the first time last year, Mm -hmm. I think we have hope that they have figured out a right tackle spot. They've always had a left tackle. Right. I mean, first it was Okung. And then when he was gone, they realized they were in trouble and pretty quickly ended up trading for Brown. And then eventually when he leaves, you, I mean, they they know the importance of the left tackle spot. Yeah. Right tackle has not really been so easy. So is he going to be the physical mauling presence that sets the tone? Because I love Charles Cross, but he's not a tone setter. I, I, is he going to be the leader, the vocal leader? He's the name that everybody has brought up when we've asked who could potentially lead this group. Can he communicate, which has always been a problem on the right side for this team for the last 10 years? How does he communicate without a veteran starter next to him as he had for much of last year with Gabe Jackson? Now it's not going to be. It's either going to be a rookie or a, a guy who has had limited playing time over the course of his career in Phil Haynes. This offensive line has to be good. It has to be. Or else this team is not going to go where it wants to go. And that means that last year's rookie tackles need to work out. They need to be better. Pete Carroll on what those guys are and where they're at right now. I mean, if you talk to Abe and you talk to Charles, they're going to tell you. They just, their outlook on the game is like entirely different than it was a year ago. They were just surviving last year, you know, and just scraping to get by. And uh, they didn't know it at the time. They thought they had all the answers, you know. But now that they can see how clear it has become to them, you know, the game, the calls, identification of, of the looks, the speed of the game. I mean, everything you can you can point to that they 
they feel a real advantage now uh, where they didn't feel that before. Think about all you out there in your distinct and different jobs. And it's a wide array, man, that listen to this show. For sure. <laughs> it is a wide array of jobs out there. But I think there is one commonality between you out there in the job that you do and these professional athletes. And that is when you step into becoming a radio host, when you are a milkman, right? When you are an attorney, when you're a teacher, when you're a coach, whatever it is, when you start that job, you are very focused on yourself. You just are. I've got to do my job. I can do my job. I got to figure out what to do. I got to figure out how I fit in this building. I got to figure out how I work with others. I got to figure out, okay, am I doing my thing? Like you're just so focused mm-hmm. on your own self. And that's what Pete is talking about. Football players the same way. Like I got to just do my job. Rookies that write plays on their wrist to just try to remember the play, right? That are up all night just trying to remember where to line up in their assignments, take care of themselves so they don't look like a fool out there on a football field. And then more time on task, more experience, more confidence. Guess what? You start thinking about yourself less and more about how you fit in with the whole rest of the crew. And then you figure out, I mean, I can do this and I'm able to do this. And thankfully for Abe and Charles in their survival and self-state last year, they had the physical traits to come right in and play. Charles had the athleticism. You talked about mauling. How many Brian Baldinger tapes did we watch of Abe Lucas last year washing down half a defensive line in the preseason? Like, wow, that was... You see that cutback lane? That's kind of nice. And it wasn't all Gabe Jackson. Gabe Jackson's still looking for a job out there. He's a he's a free agent still because the tape told you it wasn't Gabe Jackson washing it down. It was that six foot six and a half, three hundred and thirty pound creature out there that is very, very physical. And even as a rookie and a newbie came right in and, and found a way to play and contribute. Well, he's had a pretty good camp so far, uh, says that he's working on everything. I mean, I hate to sound cliche, but I'm kind of just working on everything. Uh, but I think the most um, the most growth can become or can come from like just having more knowledge and mental reps and such. Because uh, then, I mean, you can know what to do, but if you don't know why, it just makes it that much harder. I mean, that speaks very much to what you were just saying, right? I mean, yep. it, you know, he's got the physical ability to be a good right tackle in this league as he understands and takes enough mental reps and starts to learn more and more about what the game is like tactically. You know, it's only going to make him better. So he's number 15 on our list of most intriguing Seahawks. Pretty intriguing character based on where he was drafted, the mm-hmm. talent level he has, and what he could end up bringing to this organization. I like that going from what to why going from what to do to now why why am i doing this answering that you know question of why and he's a fun one for me sulky because you speak of physical toughness and actually one of my old teammates at washington comes to mind jerry jensen an old cascade high school player he became the head coach of archbishop murphy our buddy Soli, who you're looking out the window there chris sullivan our traffic guy's son was archbishop murphy with Abe Lucas. And when Abe Lucas was at Archbishop Murphy, he was like 6'6", 225. Gangly, but huge hands, huge shoulders. And you're like, yeah, that guy's going to grow into something. And then goes to Wazoo, plays for Mike Leach, right? And goes from 225 to 245 when I met him at a function. And then went from 245 to 290 to 300. All Pac-12, all Pac-12, all Pac-12. And has become just a, an awesome piece of this side. So, yeah, cool story. Cool. Yeah, it is very cool. All right. Uh, let's see. So, Chris Peterson's going to join us at 830. I mean, those stories about Wazoo, I, I don't know where they're going to be in a couple of years and whether we're having – I mean, I, I guess the Mountain West still puts people into the NFL and maybe oh, yeah. this elevates that conference a 
little bit. I mean, like a lot. I don't know what recruitment looks like all of a sudden on the West Coast. Like, are they recruiting kids based on the Big Ten? You see that, that text positive? I just sent you, by the way, from Kook Fan on, yeah. on Twitter? Like, all this talk and Jen Cohen bless her heart Saturday. Like, oh, no, me and Pat Chen, we're friends and we're going to keep the Apple Cup alive. And, yeah, and Kook Fan on there on Twitter, a, a big social voice, uh, put a little poll out there of whether Kook fans want to see anything to do with the purple and gold in 24. And there was a big fat uh, no thank you. Never want anything to do with that mm-hmm. school. And you could understand. Kind of. Yeah. You know, at Benedict Arnold, like, man, you you stabbed us in the back. Like, you weren't with us. And Oregon State, the same thing with well, the team over in Eugene. What are they supposed to do? I mean, like, I, you know, I get that view, and I'm far from a Husky homer, I would say. But I, I don't know what else Washington was supposed to do in that scenario. They're Could supposed be. to go down with the ship? Like, that's not – you can't ask them to do that. The fact of the matter is they had the ability to go to the Big Ten, and Washington State did not. I mean – they're supposed to leverage. For does a hundred years of relationship matter? I don't know. Yes, of course it does, Brock. But I mean, like I, when Iowa State managed to play each other every year, I mean, like it's mm-hmm. not, it's not impossible. Well, they're Iowa nice. I mean, it's just different out there. I mean, they're kind of <laughs> Is actually, it? it's Minnesota nice. That's the old saying. Yeah, it's Minnesota nice, but. Yeah, I when Iowa State Florida able to and Florida State managed to play each other. I mean, like it can't happen. The difference mm-hmm. being that they're all in major conferences. And the problem for Wazoo may be that they're just not. And I I don't really know what to do with all of that information right now today. We'll come back to it uh, in 20 minutes with Chris Peterson. Before we do it, though, give you everything you need to know, including the hottest team, not only in town, but in the whole country. It's next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Huge win for the Mariners yesterday, completing an even bigger four-game sweep in Anaheim. How about that? They are right now the hottest team in baseball. They've won five straight. They've won seven of eight. They've now won 11 of their last 13 games, the latest courtesy of an extra inning affair yesterday, all tied up in the 10th, and the RBI king came through again. Three balls, two strikes. Maria set. Here's his pitch. Swung on, smoked, left field line, down for a base hit. Ty France screaming around third base. He's being waved in. He will score standing. Julio into third, and he is out at third. Julio came off the base. He was tagged. He is out, but the Mariners have the lead. It's 3-2 to two in the 10th inning. Yeah, that could have been disastrous for Julio and for the Mariners. Fortunately, Sacedo gets it done, not only in the 9th, but in the 10th with the man on 2nd as well. He was fantastic. This team, Brock, right now, the team they were built to be. Now, this is the best they've played. Yep. So this is them at their peak level. We've seen mm-hmm. them at a certainly sub-peak level. But this is what I always thought this team was supposed to look like. Great, great pitching. Bullpen that, that shortens the game. And an offense that does enough and has enough pop to be able to come through big time, which they've done. Yeah, and in so doing, you're now able to look around you. Right, it was a little tougher to look around in June and, and certainly late June and into July and do the math and start looking at things. And But now you look around you and you're like, yep, here we go. Here we go. It's uh, it's some of the same culprits as last year. There's Tampa. There's Toronto. There's the wild card. There's Houston. Now, now Texas, we'll see. Texas has won six in a row, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know, after getting swept by San Diego, they make a few moves. 
Unlike some of these teams that made trade moves and have fallen off the cliff, see also the Angels and the Diamondbacks. Well, the Rangers make a few moves, and it's empowered them. It's fueled them. They've won six in a row. But in so doing, you've not lost any ground to them. As you've said, you've been one of the hottest teams, too. And there's sure a lot of numbers. So if you want to dig into purely the numbers, the numbers would tell you the pop, the home runs, just that power. That power from A. Eugenio, that power from Julio, that power from Dylan Moore in a cast of characters, that power from Cal Raleigh. Yeah, still a lot of strikeouts. But unlike earlier in the year, now they are countered by power and runs. And walks. And you you can handle, this is what I've been sort of arguing, strikeouts are ugly. But you can handle them as long as you're doing the other things. And when you don't, the strikeouts get magnified. I don't think the strikeouts were ever the problem. The problem is everything they were doing beyond the strikeouts yep. wasn't enough to balance them out. So Mariners six back in the division. As you mentioned, the Rangers keep winning as well. Two and a half back in the wild card, but they have gone past the Angels, Yankees, and Red Sox. Here's the second thing you need to know. Great to see Tariq Woolen back at practice. He passed his physical yesterday, joined for the first time, mostly in walkthroughs as they're still going to take it pretty slow. But man, does that make for one crowded secondary with at least four legitimate starting options at corner, three at safety, others worthy of some playing time as well. Lots of competition. Seeing the same thing at the center spot where Pete Carroll says, yeah, one guy's ahead right now. Yeah, uh, you know, we continue to, to see it going in a, in a competitive sense. Uh, Evan's ahead. He's ahead just because of his experience. And so if we were playing today, he would go first. And uh, um, Older's doing a great job. He hasn't had anything negative about any other. His, his wrist was sore for a couple of days. It held him back. But other than that, he's right in there, and, and the competition continues. Sure does. Competition galore, man. Competition all over the place. And continued competition at running back. That was the one bummer news maybe over the weekend. Kenny McIntosh, who you know we've gotten to see on the practice field flash again and again and again in that mock game gets bent backwards good news no torn ligaments no torn cartilage just a knee sprain going to keep him out a couple weeks better news zach charbonnet getting reps and and hitting the ground that was a that was a big concern of mine i didn't i didn't like where that was going nice to see him on the practice field yesterday getting after it and we'll see about dre jones and some of these others that's part of training camp right if you look around the league and teams all across the league have already lost players for an entire season. The Seahawks not in that camp. But now that the pads go on, the intensity kicks up. Certainly something worth keeping an eye on. Well, and then an ugly story at the wide receiver spot. Yes, Derek Young dealing with what sounds like maybe a sports attorney of some sort. But whatever is going on with D. Eskridge is an ugly story. And we don't know all the details of it yet. But he releases a statement after the league suspended him for six games for violating their personal conduct policy. There's a domestic violence issue in there. I don't know exactly what happened other than that we have been told that he is entered some form of treatment for it or, or not treatment that's not the right word therapy i guess is a better word for it but how many times yeah. do we go through this same conversation it's sickening i can't stand it i hate that we have to keep talking about it i hate that there's an element of how much the guy produces that will end up being you know relevant to this and he hasn't produced jack squat so i don't understand what he's even doing on this team mm-hmm. I, I just how many times do you have to go through this conversation it never seems to change. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, this one's actually a newer conversation, and that is the end of the Pac-12. We knew it was coming, and yet still, Brock, when it actually went down, I can't imagine what you were feeling. It was brutal, and it was just a, a wide range of emotions because Thursday night, as I was telling 
Lefko and Brady Friday morning on the show, like Thursday, I'm getting calls from friends, friends in the media, like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was like it was like the death of a family member. Like, I'm really sorry, man. I know this must really sting and hurt. And, and then you wake up Friday morning, and there's some optimism. There's multiple, multiple media sources connected to multiple schools and presidents. That, where, where did that come from? Well, I think it came from the fact that, gosh, there is 100 years of history here, Salk. And can there be more? Can it be Apple Plus, right? If, if Apple's at 21 million or 25 million, or can we bump that Apple deal up a little bit and then get ESPN to come in for five, six, seven million? Is, is there a way? You know how that works in the final hours. Why are real, why are real estate right. agents, you know, nervous? Not till the ink dries, man. Not till that name is signed on that paper. Not till the votes are in. Right, recruit recruiters will tell you the same thing. Chris Peterson will talk to him in a few minutes. How many times he went to bed thinking, "Okay, this is a done deal." Wake wakes up the next morning to a text like, "What?" You know, because emotion gets involved. Because there is history. There are real people more than real dollars, and the real people, I think created a possibility of sticking together but in the end there wasn't trust there wasn't trust for this conference there wasn't trust for the leadership in it and there was a whole lot more stability elsewhere both big 12 and big 10 which left four teams remaining yeah pretty ugly that's everything you need to know uh we do a quarter past every hour here on the brock and sulk show uh we're going to spend a little bit more time on whatever is happening you call it realignment i mean it is but it, it feels almost more like forced takeovers and and i mean it feels more of mergers mergers and acquisitions and what you would expect in the business world uh, much more so than the college football world although you know one of my biggest problems with college football has been that the difference between business and college football has not been yeah. very clear for a long long time and i you know i know you and i argue about this and have over the years and i and i do have a lot of respect because this is your livelihood this is the business in which you work the college football world so i don't mm-hmm. like when i find myself on the side of not enjoying what it is that you do or poking holes in it but this is the problem with college football with the 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 unholy alignment of trying to get a a a, a this is what happens when billions this way. and billions of dollars are pumped into an infrastructure never built to handle. That's right. It. This was supposed to be the people who happen to play at this school play against the people who happen to play, live and go to school at that school. Yep. That's how it started when you said 100 years ago. That's what it was 100 years ago. Just like it was with high school sports, that's Mike, right. and it's not. Just like it was with youth sports, and it's not anymore. It's become all about the bottom line, and that's sad. And what does Chris Peterson think about it? What is next? What is in the future? Was this why he walked away? So much of that and so much more with the former head man of the Huskies, Chris Peterson, next. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Yeah, the news official as of, what, Friday that the Pac-12 was no longer going to look the way it had for years and years and years. The writing had been on the wall, but that was sort of the death knell. We'll see what happens now with the remaining four schools with all that as a backdrop. Coach Chris Peterson, uh, formerly of UW, kind enough to join us, and a man with a pretty intricate knowledge of all of these conferences and how all of this works. Coach, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. How are you guys doing? Just another boring sports day in the Seattle area. Yeah, huh? tough. Nothing to talk about. Mariners keep winning, Seahawks practicing, <laughs> getting close, and then you got this story, which unfortunately is not nearly as positive as the others. How did we get here? <laughs> 
Oh my! You know, God. in two minutes or less, because it's a simple conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's uh, the thing that I can say about that is, unfortunately, I don't want to say I felt this coming that the Pac-12 was going to dissolve because I, you know, that this is, you know, this is wild in my my mind. I mean, it's just like, how did we get here? But, and I think Brock could attest to this. Just, I think over the years, the last handful of years, last, I don't know, 10 years or so, you could just feel somehow the Pac-12 becoming less and less important and less and less of a player. And the other conferences, the SEC, the Big Ten, becoming more and more important. Brock, I know you remember this like it's yesterday, and I do too, when you and Kirk Herbstreit, came in and talked to all the coaches kind of about this topic and that those two conferences, when you guys would go do games, just felt bigger and more important. (laughs) And so you could just feel this thing kind of eroding and here we are. And, you know, what a, what a difficult decision that Anamari Kause and Jen Cohen had to make and navigate. I mean, I think it's a decision that, you know, nobody that's a Pac-12 fan, that's a Washington fan, would want to make. But probably at the end of the day, I mean, it's the best thing for, you know, for Washington to be to be at the table, right? Because, you know, they say you're either at the table or on the menu. And it was really starting to feel like, you know, the teams in the Pac-12 were going to be on the menu. So you remember me sharing about that, right? I think I've shared on the air uh, to to a degree about Herb Street and I, and Chris. That was not just I'll call you Coach. I still call you Coach. I can't call you Chris, uh, Coach. That wasn't just the coaches in there. If you remember, it was the ADs. It was Larry Scott and league officials. And that was after the whole deal with the cupcakes and all this stuff. And, and Herbie and our boss at Placey said, you two are going to go in there and we're going to work through this. <laughs> and it was like an hour. And I just remember saying, I remember looking at you specifically and like, all right, permission to speak freely, like permission to speak freely. Can, can I just air out what's really going on here? And I remember you and Chip Kelly and David Shaw were like, well, yeah, then what the heck else are we doing here? And I was like, all right. Now, I don't know if this is yeah. good for my career, but let me just, let, you know, it's probably not good for my Q rating and my popularity with the league and officials, but let me just lay it out. You guys are way behind. You're way behind the way you treat your broadcast partners. You're way behind yeah. the hubris and arrogance you have. You're way behind the way you think that you can just keep doing what you're doing. You're way behind. And like we, I finished and it was like, oh gosh, like you could hear a pin drop in there and I'm not tooting my horn saying I saw this coming, but the hubris and some of the arrogance of some of the leadership in there, Chris, I could feel you and Kyle and Chip and the old school coaches have been doing it for decades. I could feel the discomfort you had even then with the leadership going on in the league offices that this was not going in the right direction. Is that fair? A hundred percent. Hundred percent. I like I said. I remember like it was yesterday, and I was so, you know, I thought it was so great that you and Kirk came in there and really like <laughs> gave us the, the state of the state in a really honest way, and 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 we could all feel that. Like you could feel it. So then it's like, okay, what are we going to do about this? And you know, just kind of like you said, and we just just this feeling that's like, well, we're the Pac-12, and we'll, you know, we we are who we are, and. 
we're this brand. And, you know, in the recruiting world, you could just feel it slipping through our fingers. Like, no, it's not the same that it was, you know, and it's amazing just how fast things can change on you. But really, this wasn't that fast. You know, it's just kind of just eroding away and you could feel it. And you're like, what are we doing? And, you know, I think it's not just you know, it, 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 the, probably the big picture, I mean, like I say, this is such a complicated issue. We could talk for hours on this, but um, you guys good if we stay on for hours and just talk about this? Sure. Today? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got nothing to do, right? You're, not yeah, a, yeah. you're just a retired football coach now, so you got hours, right? right? Exactly. Let's talk. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, the thing that was so frustrating is you can feel this at the NCAA level. Like, it was just like, there's who's directing this situation? Just college football in general and the greater good. What is good for the game and these kids? And that just felt non-existent for a long, long time. Was it ever so existent, here, Chris? Was it ever collegial? Yeah. Was it ever existence, existent in your experience as a coach? Well, so it felt strong-armed. It felt like this is what we're doing. We're, you know, you, you can give them trail mix, but you can't have M&Ms in your trail mix or you're going on probation. You know, you can, you can give them bagels, but you can't have cream cheese on your bagel. So that's a violation. The kids can't go do charity work and use their name or that's a violation. I mean, there's just so many things that were going on that you're like, wait, what are we, why, what are we doing here? So there was, in my opinion, just no real progressive thinking. But at least they were, like, putting hard boundaries down. But then in the last, you know, again, let's go back five, ten years, it just felt like they were pulling back when this thing was starting to go to court. Alston, you know, the last thing that just came through was NIL, and it just flipped. Like, okay, coaches, administrators, you can have nothing to do with money with these players. You can't tell them what to do. Boosters, you're now in charge. And we're like, wait, what? And so it's just, it's just been like a, just a lack of leadership kind of starting at the top. Yeah. And this is what you get. Oh, yeah, and there is no real top leadership because there's no commissioner of college sports. You know, one, right. one thing, Coach, talking to Chris Peterson here, Coach, we, we, Brock and I have kind of debated and talked about this forever, and we come at it from different standpoints. I mean, I'm from the Northeast where college sports are not nearly the, the way of life as they are in the rest of the country. But one of the things that I've always struggled with in college sports, and Brock and I were just talking about it, is that the system was never set up for it. It was supposed to be when it was started 100 years ago, you know, the guys who happened to or people who happened to be at school A play against the people who just happened to go to school B. They're not choosing those schools based on their athletic teams. They're just going there and then they play each other. I don't see how maybe you have more of an opinion on it. How, how does a how does a system set up that way ever grow to accommodate the amount of money and interest that it ended up generating. Yeah. I mean, you just said the key word, right? I mean, money just always changes everything. And when it's all about money, usually bad things are going to happen. And I think that's where we are that because no one's, able to like get the mantle of command but pro sports are all and, about money i mean like we have to you know because it, it it can work pro sports function pretty well because there's yeah. an acceptance 
that they're all about money. Everybody knows exactly what you're going into. They're for-profit businesses. We understand that. The problem here for me isn't just the money. It's this complete phony conversation that it's not about money. It's just about tradition and it's just about education and all these things. And for some people in the game, I know it is. But for the game in general, I have a real hard time ever believing that. Yeah. And another issue with this is it's just the way, you know, the college athletics are set up now, certainly at the. you know, the division one level. And when it's, when there is a lot of money and all these things are going on, the system is not set up and it's not sustainable. The model is, is broken. That's why it's just makes no sense. Like what? We're going to travel all over these country country to play games. Okay. That's fine for the football guys. who can get in and out in a day, but all the other sports, but football is the one that makes all the money with these TV contracts. So they pay the bills for everyone. Mm. And so that's why, you know, again, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have all the answers on this. It's very complicated. I'm not that naive. Like it's that simple, but, and I don't know what's going to happen down the road, but it sure feels like there's going to be another realignment or (laughs) hopefully this one is a realignment, not an unalignment Mm -hmm. down the road where the, you know, the top truly top football teams that want to play in that arena they break away and they do their other thing. And, you know, the rest of the sports can kind of settle in and do this thing how it was meant to be made. You know, the, the 1AA, the, the FCS schools, they're not having an issue with NIL. They're, they're not having an issue with that. These other schools are in terms of, you know, paying the players and trying to get enough money. And then there's tampering going on and teams are stealing players from locker rooms and trying to pay them more money. I mean, it's just like, it's just the wild, wild west right now. And so there's just a lot of things that need to shake down and someone needs to get in charge of this for the greater good. I think that's what every coach and every administrator wants. So, so let me, just, let me ask you a difficult question that I've asked Brock a bunch of times and I want you guys really probably should talk more than me, but uh, uh, let me ask this. Because I I understand everything you just said, but then there's also this part of me that says it's not fair for people to profit when the labor is not being paid. I didn't think it was fair for years and years. The college kids who were bringing in all this revenue weren't getting a piece of it. Would we be better off in a scenario where college football football was taken out of college sports and turned into more of a minor league NFL type of a system? Well, that's a little bit what I'm speaking about, probably at the at the highest level, just because there's so much money involved. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you say, you know, I've always felt like the labor should be paid and it's unfair. I mean, I think it's really interesting, like to ask a guy like Brock, who went through that. And if he ever felt like it was unfair, I went to little old UC Davis Division two football back in the day, and it took me you know, 10 years to pay off my student loan. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the best money that it was ever spent in my entire life. Now, again, we're not playing at the level that Brock was playing at and they're making money and paying coaches and, and everybody. But, you know, it's just interesting. I, I don't know how many 
people felt back in the day that like this is unfair. Now again, the money has dramatically changed rapidly. Right, and that's where contract. I think it changes when the it's not it's not unfair until people elsewhere are making millions or billions of dollars yeah. and then you say, "Well, hold on a minute. Yes, it's great to get a free education, but this guy over yeah. here's making millions and I'm the one who's going out there risking my there you injury go again. and future." See, Sorry. So we don't talk a lot of politics, this. Chris, because Salk <laughs> is just a red-blooded <laughs> capitalist and you know, it <laughs> This is just not it's not healthy for our show when we dive into these arenas. You got to get running. I got one last question for you, and it's for our friends across the state. If and and I know and I know, Chris, that you um, you're in high demand. You're not going to say this, but people love for you to come in and consult and put your eyes and your experience and all of your decades of wisdom into different organizations. And you get a chance to speak to businesses and you're you know, you, you won't toot your horn. I can do all of that. If Pat Chen were to fly Chris Peterson in and say, Chris, what do we do? What is what is next what is next best step for the Beavers? What's the next best step for the Cougs? What would you advise knowing what you know and everything you have seen and been through? I mean Brock, that that is such a difficult question. And I think that's gonna take a lot of thought and a lot of conversation. I think the really good thing about Washington State, Oregon State, like those, you feel so bad for them because they have done such a great job of scratching and clawing and battling and, and, and doing a really good job with the facilities and making their places really important and players in, in the big scheme of things. And now the rub's been pulled out from them. So they got these beautiful facilities. Both, you know, both sides have some really nice facilities. That's great. But I keep thinking about this, you know, when this season's over and with the transfer portal and who knows where they're going. Are they going into the Mountain West? Are they going, are they going to you know, form the new Pac-12 conference with some other teams coming in, a combination of those type of things? And then what are the players that are there going to be thinking? Do, do I want to be here? And then, again, let's just get to the poaching that's going on and, and buying players out of locker. I mean, I keep thinking about what's going on there. So I just know this in the next couple of months, they're, they're, they, you know, they're going to have to sit down and really strategize and create a vision where we're going an inspiring vision. Yes. Change is here. And, you know, hopefully though, you know, everybody's still going to have access to the playoffs and maybe, it's going to be an easier path to the playoffs. You know, I, I know this, you know, Washington, Oregon had the PAC 12 stayed put for the short term. That would have been a much easier path into the playoffs. Now, probably not better for them to stay for the long game, but in the short term. So, you know, whatever league is formed that they're going to go into, and if there's a path to the playoffs, I'm thinking that's what we're trying to get done. And if we can get in there, you know, now we have a shot. And but it's going to be something like that. But they're going to have to sit down and figure out where what is the vision? What does this thing look like for our student athletes? Why is this a good place to come? And they're going to have to create this vision. And and, you know, the vision they have is is out the window and we got to create a new one. Did you uh, you ever play golf with Mike Hopkins? I have not played golf with Hopkins. I uh, I had the experience uh, a week or so ago in a scramble. Very very interesting uh, five or six or seven hours we spent together in a <laughs> scramble that just kind of kept going and going. He's pretty intense, dude. Thoughtful. 
Was he doing push-ups in between holes, waiting for the next group to tee I, off? I won't tell you. I won't. I won't tell you whether or not he threw a club on the third hole because I don't think that's fair to him. But I was pretty impressed with the intensity that he brought to the table. So uh, he's a big fan of yours, and uh, I just thought I would mention that. I, I know you got to run, but we appreciate it. It's not a not a fun conversation. It'd be more fun to have you on to talk about something else. But this is uh, this is kind of where we're at. So here we are. Yeah, and I think you said it. You know, it's really not a fun conversation. <laughs> I mean, when we're talking about the greater good and, you know, people, uh, the greater good of college athletics and football and all those type of things, there's like really hard decisions that needs to be made. And when we're talking about change, you know, everybody likes change unless we're talking about, oh, you're saying I have to change? Right. <laughs> then nobody likes it. Yep. So mm. that's where we are. You know that Brock makes me play a sound drop of yours almost all, like almost weekly. He makes me play this. Maybe you remember saying this, but I thought I'd just play it for you since, since you're here. Stars? Is that another Joe question? Yeah, I'm really impressed with a lot of their stars. Brock makes me play that all the time. He thinks it's the funniest thing. Oh, so good. <laughs> Brock, we need to move on. We need new sound bites. I don't like change. change I don't like change, Chris. I don't like change. Uh, Have a great day, buddy. Thanks, Thanks, Coach. We appreciate it. All right, guys. There you go. There's Chris Peterson. Nice of him to to join us and not to be talking about the stars. But, Brock, it's a tough situation. If you grant that it's unfair for people to make money off the backs of others, but at the same time understand that the money that's been brought in is killing the game, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is not deconstruct. And when we deconstruct things and there's times, and once again, this gets so much bigger, right? We joke about the capital and the socialist, and it's hilarious how this totally changes our worldviews and our kind of ideologies when it comes to this conversation. And and it's bigger, right? And it's, well, the NCAA, they're the big bad guy. They've been awful for all of these years. I remember sitting at, at a similar set of meetings. This was a few years after Herbie and I just declared war on the on the conference <laughs> i was sitting with uh tara vondevere the esteemed and i'm thinking about her today in stanford women's basketball one of the greatest brands on the west coast truly a conference of champions for a dynasty for decades and decades and i remember kind of breaking bread with her and sitting at a table and she's a huge college football fan and we were sharing harbaugh stories and just great time and it was then she's like you know it's just sad because we knew it like chris did this stuff is unsustainable mm-hmm. you can't have bagels and no cream cheese i mean those things are real what chris was saying this is just stupid it's folly right we're in such a place this is ridiculous but then you also can't deconstruct right you can't de just i'm done okay fine i'm out and totally tear down every rule and bylaw and every guardrail that protected a flawed system because when you do what comes in cheats and what when you do what comes in bad money and bad character when you do what comes in greed all of these but things a lot that, of that are, was already there. It was there, but it was not nearly as pervasive as what we're seeing well, today. It wasn't not as, it wasn't even as on the surface. Not but, I mean, you even don't think it was close. there. Um, um, it was there in, in, in with those places that could do it. But right. now you've opened it up to everybody, right? And and now everybody is tampering, and everybody is cheating, and everybody's inducing, and everybody's spending this money. And now there's no guardrails, and there's no leadership. So what do you do? And when there is no leadership, you will fail. So what do you? You do? will fail. What do you do? You're, you're going to have to come to a rock bottom point where these student athletes are the ones that are so harmed. And I'm not talking about the football players. 
I'm talking about the student athletes that become so harmed in this. And Eli Drinkwitz, the coach at Mizzou, had a great soundbite over the weekend talking about counting the costs. And we want to talk about mental health and protecting student athletes. What we are going to do to these student athletes, not football players, is going to push them to a level that's not sustainable, that, that, that does hurt. So, so, the pro- so, so when I hear you say all this, and I, and I know I'm, maybe I'm beating a dead horse, the problem is not the other sports, though. The problem is football. Football's the problem. It doesn't, it's one of these things is not like the others. Because it makes and generates such a right. tremendous amount of revenue. For a that system the ESPN built that for the that Foxes, kind of revenue. Correct. And the television networks want. And they want. Absolutely. And they, they want and they that have product. set all of this up. Yep. They have set all of this up. Now, some of these conferences and had the Pac 12 10 years ago, and I firmly believe this with all my heart. If there had been any leadership in place yeah. from the presidents and the board of regents and that, and that commissioner, that weak, fragile, frail commissioner at that time had the spine to say to these presidents and these board of regents, listen, this is where we are going. This is not sustainable. We are going to wreck this thing and we're going to destroy it. We need to partner with the networks and we need to do what the Big Ten did in partnering with Fox and what the SEC did in partnering with ESPN. And they're right down the road in LA and we need to get out of San Francisco and get out of hoity-toity and get out of the elite hubris that we have and partner with this network. And if you'd done that 10 years ago, you would never be in this position. You would be one of the half. But the, not to have but not the problems in college football would all still be there. Yes, they would. I, I mean, like it, the haves and the have not coach Peterson are sort of talking and complaining about, you know, the way that the whole game has gone. If you were in Michigan today, you wouldn't be complaining about that. You'd be like, oh, yeah, we're dominating. Look what our conference just did. It yep. doesn't make the, 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 the thing, everything OK. It's not. Well, actually, it's, the region in Michigan had a, quite a viral it's, video it's yesterday saying the opposite system. song, saying it is broken. It is. This, this is broken. Well, it's been broken for a long time. So it's you brought up you brought up the you, well you brought up the pro sports right and the pro sports models and they work why because there's a leader that's willing to take all of the arrows yep. and get booted as draft well, off the set because they're honest about what they're doing. Kind of. They're because honest remember, about well, it. Well, remember, they're not supposed to be a monopoly. And remember, they're supposed to be a 501c3. Well, and remember, they're fairly honest about what they're doing. We all know the game. We know it's about money. The yep. players make a ton of it. The coaches make a ton of like. We understand how all of that works. Yep. And I, I believe that that's the situation that you should have in, in college. Stop pretending it's not like that. No, that's where with 40, 50, 60 of the elite football programs, as Chris said, and most of us would tell you, that looks like that's where it's going. Mm-hmm. How the rest of it can all fit in, how the rest of all of those puzzle pieces fall, Salk, amongst all the student athletes and all the tradition and all the history. Man, that is a puzzle with a lot of lot of pieces. Well, I love it. I love your passion on it. And I'm sorry again. It stinks that this has happened. Pac-12 conference was something very important to you, and and it just stinks that it's kind of gone down this way. Uh, we'll be right back. We'll talk some Mariners who uh, have gone in the exact opposite direction. While well, everything has been falling apart here for the uh, football teams and the and the in the conference, the Mariners have played their best baseball of the season just in time, Brock. Just in time for a last two month run at this. Be right back and talk about why next.